There are very few retail stores out there that can tell a story like Union in Los Angeles. Union is one of those stores that has an ability to not only tell a unique story of a brand to a customer, but in some cases, their version ends up influencing back upon that brand itself. Union is part store, part university, and part temple of streetwear. If your brand is sold at Union, you're hot. And if you're not, well, you aren't. The brains and owner behind Union is Mr. Chris Gibbs. This past PT Womo in Florence, I sat for a lengthy and inspirational conversation with Chris about the origins of Union, how fashion is a balance of business and art, and how he feels about the expansion of streetwear into high fashion. I'm your host, Jeremy Kirkland, and you're listening to Blamo. Chris Gibbs. Yes. It is an absolute pleasure and an honor to talk with you. Um, you're on the podcast. How you doing? Good. Good. In Firenze, one of my favorite places on earth. Yeah. We're, we're here. We're like outside of PT Womo. Yeah. Pretty, pretty dope. Um, there's a bunch of reasons why I wanted to have you on, but I would say the most important thing that you are is like, whether you realize it or not, I think you are, for any young like streetwear brand, your cosign is probably the most important. Mm. And also, I would say, historically, like not just the legend of Union LA, but also what you did at, you know, Union in New York. Yeah. So, I mean, it is... That's humbling. <laughs> no, I mean, serious. You are like the real deal. Yeah. And, you know, I know that a lot of brands and stuff that I know, their number one goal is just like, if I can just get into Union. <laughs> yeah, that's... uh <laughs> You know, I wish I could help more. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, it's been a fun ride, and the ride continues. And um, I'm humbled and honored that we kind of have that as our uh, calling card or on our resume. Um, and I like it too. I like finding new, young, up and coming brands, and yeah, uh, hopefully helping them break. Yeah, for sure. You know, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Some, like I feel like that cosine sometimes is like more important on paper, you know, but you still got to play the game. You know, like, you know, they, you talk about a basketball team and like, well, on paper, this team's going to win it all. And then they get they get together Cats. and the chemistry is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then the Warriors show up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so sometimes it and but other times it really works where it's like, yes. And I think. It kind of depends on the line and where they want to be and what they're doing. So sometimes it really, really works. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. Yeah. Um, we have a part to play. The designers have a part to play. Sometimes the designers are like, yo, I'm in union. All right. I'm done. Oh. You know, and they kind of don't follow up on all the things that it needs that you need to be successful in this business. Right. And to what degree they blame me like when they're failing, I don't I don't know, but sometimes um it really works and they get it and you know it just it really all depends on on yeah. a lot of factors unfortunately. Well, and there's it's your store model that you guys do and mm. I'm not talking about like the physical model but your business model has definitely tried to have been rep, uh, replicated and yes. other people have tried to do it. Yeah. And the interesting thing Some about it. Some people probably make more money than me doing it. I Not probably. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. But <laughs> I would say at the end of the day, people aren't trying to get into that store. They're trying to get yeah. into yours. And, and yeah. I think that's more of a testament as to who you are with your eye and, and what, what you're able to to do. So yeah. it's this is this is fun. 
Um, before I, I know a lot of people know like the legend of what you guys are, but how did how did Union start at the very beginning? Because it was in New York, right? Yeah, you, so Union. There's like a time before me, um, which was which is honestly always awkward to talk about, but um, because um, I've kind of I was involved with the previous owners. I was an employee of theirs in New Mm -hmm. York and there was a New York version and an LA version. And they were kind of like not exactly the same, Mm -hmm. technically two different owners, although it's all under one family. Mm. So it's kind of like a brother and a sister kind of um, almost literally. Okay. Um, And so I worked for Marianne Fusco in the New York store and I started working there in 96. Um, And I worked there for about nine, nine or so years and kind of just, literally like rose up through the ranks like mailroom to are you from new york buyer. i'm from canada originally all right so i moved to new york right out of high school went to college in new york went to baruch nobody cares or even knows baruch's baruch. dope man i know that's cool <laughs> so i went to baruch for business and uh and then um started working at union while i was still in college and um worked for marianne and uh, the original store was opened by Marianne and James, James Jebby of Supreme. Yeah. And then kind of as Supreme became a bigger thing, um, he was less involved and it became more of a Marianne thing. Mm. Um, but so I, I, my day-to-day was with Marianne, who between the two of them and very specifically with Marianne taught me pretty much everything I know about like retail. Um, and then in two. 2003 I moved to LA and I worked for the LA version which is this guy Eddie Cruz who Eddie Cruz owns undefeated now yeah and and he started undefeated with uh with another James James Bond and uh again had to really literally work like start at the bottom again so I had to start all the way at the bottom wait and your transcript didn't didn't transfer You know, it's complicated. Sure. We knew each other, but there was already a version of me in L.A., and it's not like we're this big, huge store. Like, you only need one buyer and one manager. And who, who was this guy named Berto, who was an amazing person, a really dope dude. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, and basically I didn't – so I had to kind of start at the bottom. Um, there's a whole other story about what I did because I moved to L.A. and basically took another job. Oh, writing for TV. <laughs> that's a that's a whole other hour you guys don't want to talk okay. about. But I realized I didn't like it. I I you know, which is a whole another sure. story because people were like you were writing for TV. I was getting paid really well and it, I hated it. Were you I in hated the guild? My job. I was no, I wasn't. I worked for um MTV. Okay. And I worked for the guys who uh who did Punked. And the, and punked was ending, and I was work writing on their the show that was supposed to replace it, okay. which, as you can maybe guess, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no follow up to punk that worked. Right, um, but you're at so you're at Union in LA. Yeah, and uh, when they eventually, long story short, they eventually decided to open Supreme in LA, mm. and the Berto who was managing Union left, and that's when I finally got to be like the manager of union in Los Angeles. Right. And then jumped to the the depression or the, you know, the great recession or whatever. It's yeah. Called yeah. In 2008. And they were thinking of closing doors and everything was kind of in flux. And I basically sat down, Eddie and I sat down and we worked out a deal where I could take over and buy it from him. Damn. So there's like kind of three eras of me at union and each one of them has a different 
kind of fits into things about you know i worked for them in new york mm-hmm. the the them in new york the union in new york is actually different than the union la technically then i moved to the union la worked there and then i bought it in 2008 and kind of made my own version of it as well the which version that stands to yeah the version that it is now i mean i would say that's the majority of people's interaction with it and you're like half university half <laughs> like culture epicenter but oh yeah, you're a retail store. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, which is actually exactly what we try to be. I feel like that was because that's what it was to me. So when I was, you know, twenty, yeah, and walking into that New York store for the first time, that's what it was for me. It was like a cultural epicenter. It was, you know, you got to meet cool, up and coming, dope young people doing new shit that I didn't even think like, you know could exist right like streetwear to me was this thing i didn't know existed and when i found it i was like oh my god this is everything to me and to me not related to whether i work there or own the store now union was the birthplace of streetwear to me i would argue it's also the birthplace of streetwear of what it is now yeah i mean it's uh, the laundry list and i won't name everyone but i mean you off white is probably one of the big, biggest examples of like where where Virgil is yeah. now, and you were the yeah, first store yeah. Pyrex Vision. Yeah, right? exactly. The yeah. whole yeah. flannel shirt thing and all that <laughs> crap. Yeah, but like you know, and then also Visvim. Visvim, Visvim's like a big. I I use Visvim as a is one of the best examples of like the synergy between a brand and a store, and kind of how we grew together. And yeah. I, you know. So Visvim's a good one. Off White is another, you know, good example, and obviously the the predecessor, which is Pyrex. Which I don't know if I don't know if we stop this podcast now to talk about it. There's a bootleg Pyrex oh. at there's a Pyrex yeah. booth at Pitti. Yeah. Oh, you knew? I didn't know. I Dude. was like, oh my god. So it's either totally bootleg and fake, or it's like this thing because and i have a conspiracy theory mind at all times or like for it they know like you know someone that was involved in the original pyrex is doing it and it's only in italy and somehow well i mean getting away like you know manipulating the laws because i think you know it ended in the rest of the world yeah i don't know if it's continued to be here or if i'm just seeing it for the first time oh no it's yeah i would say there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I was like tweeting about this, um, which is so stupid. I'm even pre- <laughs> prefacing that, but like, <laughs> I love it. Um, I was walking by the Keaton booth and the the Keaton nephews, who are like, you know, the handsome boys that wear all the like young cool kid Keaton. Yeah. They're wearing off white Nikes, and I was like, oh, sick. And I like mentioned it to a friend of mine. He's like, no, dude, that's not real. And yeah. I was like, are you sure? He's like, hundred percent. Yeah, they ain't real. And I was like. Oh, okay. And as I'm on my way into pity, I saw this guy with this massive graphic shirt. I don't know if he was attending or just someone yeah, outside, yeah. but it is this huge shirt and it said Noah on it. And I'm like, uh, yeah. I don't know if Brendan's making this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it also, you know, all the big oversized box logo Supreme yeah, things my kids, here. My 11 and 14 year old kids, like the first thing they saw, they were like, there's a whole bunch of fake Supreme out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... So I would say chances yeah. are that ain't 
real Pyrex, but no, it's definitely not real Pyrex. <laughs> but right. is it like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it legal in Italy? It's got to be, or I, I guess enough. I don't yeah. know, and I don't know if we want to talk. But it makes me think of uh, through the what enter through the gift shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Banks, do you think? Yeah, you think it's a stunt? It might be. Like I always felt like bank. The the story that I think they tell is that this guy met Banksy's people, people that help him produce stuff. Mister Brainwash. Yes. Yeah. And basically use them for him to make his own art. And I'm like, I feel, I feel like Banksy was behind that, and that was his like pop culture release. They oh. make a whole bunch of money through this guy, through Mr. Brainwash, right? Like, yeah. didn't Mr. Brainwash do the Madonna album cover? Yeah. If you wanted Banksy to do your Madonna album cover, but obviously he can't because that would devalue his art. Only what album cover he's done way, is Think Tank, Blur's right. Think Tank. Yeah. yeah. What better way than to <laughs> make up this guy, Mr. Brainwash? Yeah. And then. And tell him I feel like Banksy is behind that, and I, in a good way, like in sure. a genius way, make your money. Maybe, and I feel like my, maybe there's a similar thing happening with Pyrex. I don't know. Somewhere down the line, someone legitimately connected to Pyrex is co-opting this. Yeah, they're I definitely doing something. Anyhow, yeah, there's a lot of weird, <laughs> weird streetwear in there, and it's funny because, like, you know, I was I've talked to a few people about this, and people are like. I, I guess suiting's dead. It's over. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, people are still buying it. But it's yeah. like, there's a lot of triple S's out there yeah. right now. Yeah. And I'm just like, but, I mean, to, to go back to Union real quick, I mean, I think um, you guys are, it, it feels like you're in this sweet spot. And I also think it's good that you are you were saying that you don't really see yourself as this retail store first. It, you're more of just kind of like this birthplace for things because, Retail is evolving, and it's it's weird out there. Mm-hmm. It's the Wild West. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't know. But um, with to go back to Visman real quick, you how did you find Visman? Because I would say you are probably the only and first American shop to really break a lot of Japanese brands. Yeah. So um, when we were at the, when I was at the New York store, for really weird reasons, we actually didn't carry a lot of Japanese brands at the New York store. People kind of don't the don't know the whole linear line. Right. But the LA store was carrying a lot of the Japanese brands. So when I was still at New York and they were kind of separate but equal, mm-hmm. LA was already carrying neighborhood and Bape. Oh right. And pre Bape um, store. Yeah. Silas, which isn't Japanese, but I kind of think of it in that same um kind of pantheon or whatever yeah um double taps yeah so all those brands were at the la store and not the new york store and it wasn't till i moved to the new la store that i then and started doing the buying for both and that's when i brought in some of the japanese stuff to new york so when new york had the japanese stuff i was no longer there technically oh and wow. people kind of blur the lines and a couple of like there was uh there was a guy before me uh vito palmore who i look like Light-skinned black dude, looked like me. There was a guy after me uh, that looked like me. So people kind of blur the lines and think that we were all the same person. But it's just one of those things. I'm like, yeah. So, um, But so when I got to L.A. is when I really started to understand the Japanese stuff, which they, had already, they were already buying and doing quite well with. And Visvim in particular was at Undefeated first as a shoe line. Vism started as a shoe line. Yeah. So it was at Undefeated Cubism, first. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then um, 
it kind of had limited success. It kind of had to figure itself out a little bit. Um, was the FBT? Was that like FBT, the first shoe? I don't think it was the first shoe, but it was the first it was, shoe that, that shit was kind gnarly. of killed it. Yeah. yeah. Um, they had a couple others before before the FBT. But um, at then they start then they did this then they started making clothing uh, but they weren't really trying to export the clothing it only was really working for their stores in Japan and then um it's very japanese though. yeah exactly and then <laughs> they started this line called G line which was like the top the heavy hitters from their clothing in Japan made for the international market in America in particular and it's around that time that we really like committed to trying to bring in the clothing because before then it was just really a sneaker sh- shoes. Yeah. Um, and what he was doing to me with clothing at that time he was being revolutionary. Hiroki. Yeah, it was yeah. revolutionary. Um, and I, to this day, don't think anyone's ever really done it as well as he has um, in mixing the old world with the new world in this way that is really harmonious. There's people that try and do it. Yeah. But. No one did it the way he was doing it back then. Um, and it, it was groundbreaking, and I just fell in love with it. And I think as a shop owner, when you love something, and you could, you then can sell it very easily. So it was, it was just very organic and natural for me to sell it. At that time, I was still in the store. I actually didn't own it then. I was still just the manager. Right. Um, and it, I, it just sold really well. I felt like, and I still feel this today, and I think the proof is in the pudding because it's still a really big brand for us in in our store. Mm -hmm. And I think although they have like a global imprint now, Mm -hmm. I don't think people sell it as well as we do. We still sell it, like really sell it, like transactional hand-to-hand, hey, coming in more than most stores do, I think, outside of Japan. I, I um, definitely believe that, but I mean, wh- what are one of the things you guys feel that you're doing different? Because like they went into Bergdorf's, and, yeah. I mean, it's, they're not they they weren't able to do it. I'm not trying to take credit, even though it's, there's no I'm way to, to say this credit. that it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> but I feel like we built who they were for outside of Japan. Mm. So the customer that appreciates what they are is the customer we built. And it was through the filter of my understanding of it, which is a little bit skewed from what Hiroki maybe was building. So you were kind of like almost distilling it a little bit for Americans. Yeah. Right. So our version of it, yeah. VizVim, is what the uh, Western world ended up adopting. And in particular, you got the like straight no chaser shit from from our store because yeah. for the first maybe five years we were the only ones carrying it yeah. and I think I would I guess not so humbly say that version is the dope version and any other version it's not really you're not really getting the true essence of what the brand is and at the price point that it is it's hard it's not sustainable for another store who's just oh yeah that's Vizim like you know oh yeah let's go. try that out yeah <laughs> there's the shirt you can go try it it's here it's at Bergdorf's or wherever and you got to salesperson who doesn't really understand it so they can't really sell it and it needs to be sold it needs to be understood you need to be digested it's that it's the souffle of that's of of, i don't know streetwear i guess no i mean that's the thing that is just kind of like a testament of to who you are and how you're able to communicate this stuff because visvim in particular and i'm just using them more as an example is the fact that like they did a you know air quote pop-up 
and it was it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I talked with Richard. I'm I don't know if he'll listen to this or not, but like <laughs> I know that <laughs> I know that like it was just okay. Yeah. Um, but I think it was also because they had never done a retail store in New York mm-hmm. or in the United States. Yeah. And you know, and so they they were they're like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do what they're what we've done in Japan, yeah. all the free international laboratory things. No music. Yeah. Dead silent. Yeah. So super awkward. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- and everything hung the exact same way, certain way, and that's basically it. And it's, and I don't know if if it was more of a Japanese thing or a Visvim thing, but I had a lot of friends who were very much into Visvim, and they went in there and they're like, "Yo, I felt weird." <laughs> yeah. And, but it, and, that's know, not the case at that's not the case at Union. Yeah, and I don't know if we'll you know it's definitely not a world issue, <laughs> but uh, something that I guess I'm curious about and talking about to having this conversation brings it up. Like, so I feel like our version of Visvim is a little bit different than Hiroki's original vision. Mm-hmm. And is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Does he like that? I don't know. Have you ever asked him? Uh I've never asked him that directly. Yeah, I've. If I had to guess, I'd say he probably wouldn't like that. Hmm. Knowing him how I know him, he probably wants the... And, and I don't... That's sure. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's not that he feels that way. Um, but I would think that he would want the world to get his vision directly from him, not through a conduit. Yeah, and I mean, for me, if I'm, if I'm a business, and, and I, well, we won't stay on this too much longer, yeah. um, <laughs> I would want to be... To, to go where my vision is amplified and not necessarily that much compromise. Because it's not that you're yeah. reinventing the wheel. You're, if anything, like you were saying, I mean, I think you've amplified and made it more accessible. There's a lot of well, celebrities and people who this, are into this. This is what I would say, you know, from the, again, this is me speaking for, sure. for him or for, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, whatever. But like from a business standpoint, I think it makes sense, right? And I'll explain that in a little bit more detail, just overarchingly. Okay. From a, art standpoint it's where it would be Mm. the conflict as an artist as a designer who has a very particular vision and an incredible vision i'm a huge fan of maybe the world's biggest fan of you know what i mean like i don't dress like exactly like him and there's guys out there that do that but you know but um but like i think as an artist that's where he would have a problem with it as a business I think we were able to help him grow in a place that he would otherwise not have grown, in my humble opinion, because the v- very direct version of his brand wouldn't wouldn't have been understood in America, mm. and and, partic- and maybe in the Western world, without that thing. And I think when there's a really good balance mm-hmm. of the art and the business and what we can do as a business and what we can provide to you as an artist or a designer if you're a brand that's coming into our store. When there's a really good balance there, I think that's when it's successful. Some designers maybe don't like that business part where we're going to take gotcha. your vision and, and communicate it a little bit differently because we understand our customer and they might not totally get your vision. Um, and That's a really interesting just, yeah. That goes beyond Visvim. You know what I mean? That goes for every brand that we carry. Yeah. We're going to 
and and it and it's a different um, level depending on the brand. Some brands need less. Some brands need more. Well, the the best example I can think of after that would be Tom Brown because you guys turned Tom Brown into a streetwear brand. Tom yeah. Brown was not a streetwear brand. Yeah. I know for a fact having very close relationships with people within the company yeah. that the original concept of 100 Hudson, his retail store, yeah. was black shoes, white shirts, charcoal suits. Yeah. So much Done. retailers or uh, like shoppers would come in and be like, hey, it'd be great if you guys had like a flannel or something. <laughs> yeah. And so they would make them. And when Tom would come into the store, they would hide them from, from Tom wow. because it wasn't what was Tom's yeah. vision. But, you know, what you guys did is, like, they were kind of experimenting. I know that, like, they weren't wild about trying to do a sweatpant. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, how you guys merchandise and, and put together Tom Brown. Yeah. Tom Brown's a streetwear brand now. Like, yeah, it, I, you know, and, and I hope, I mean, he, that's an interesting one and an interesting take. It, But at the end of the day, what we've always tried to do is, so here's kind of how that in general came to be. When we started bringing in a lot of, when I started really shopping for Japan brands, mm -hmm. for Japanese brands, the attention to detail, the fabric quality, like everything was done on the level or close to the level of like a high fashion brand. Okay. Right? It was really properly tailored you know, a military shirt, believe it or not. You know what I mean? Like where they considered how it drapes and how it falls on you. And the fabric was incredible. Something that's going to last a really long time and beautiful hand feel to it. And all these things that I had equated with better made goods. But in coming from streetwear, you never got better made goods in that way. So to me, the Japanese streetwear scene, for lack of a better term, was where I first started to see like, oh, you could take this T-shirt, hoodie, jean, that I've that's my uniform and just make it better. Mm. Right? Make it fit better, make the fabric better. Like think of it the way these bigger houses do their collections. Um and so that did really well for us and we started selling Jap all the Japanese brands really well. At some point and I'm a streetwear kid, right? That's what I come from. I d didn't go to fashion school. I don't know don't know like the you know, the quintessential 1998 Ralph Simmons collection that put, I don't, couldn't tell you about it. And what, yeah. you know, I don't, I have staff and friends that could talk about that all day. <laughs> and I, I don't have, it's not a bad thing. I'm just telling you, I, that's not me. That's not what I know. Um, I could tell you a lot about streetwear, you know? Yeah. So, but as the Japanese stuff kind of, we stepped up quite a bit when we really got into our groove of selling that stuff and and the viz vims and and the price point now you're selling stuff you're selling a 600 dollar button down shirt yeah which is the same price as like a tom brown shirt so what we started to see is like oh we have a guy coming in here buying a 600 dollar button down shirt oh. has no problem with that and as everything we're in a capitalist society we needed to grow yeah and yeah, there yeah. was a limit of understanding so we're like oh let's and i was also now learning about better made shit. Like now I had the, the, my juices were like, oh wow. Now I, now I can look, now I can go into like Prada or whatever and yeah. understand why this shirt is $600. There's before I'd be like, fuck that. It's a $600 shirt. No way. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Now I understand and appreciate through the Japanese stuff and basically tried to do the same thing from our customer. So we tried to buy these, Bigger, better, bigger houses, 
that were making known for making quality goods, but I still was buying it through the sensibilities of streetwear. Right. So yes, when we're buying Tom Brown or Comme des Garçons or, you know, we're still buying, yeah, the flannel shirt more than the suit. Yeah. The sweat pen if they make one. The sportswear as the as the fashion world would call it sportswear. Yeah. And some brands appreciated that and liked it. Others were like, well, all you could sell is sportswear. We're not interested in that. So there's a whole bunch of brands we'd go to and be like, well, yeah, you guys just sell sportswear. We have, don't want that. Have you had anyone like kind of apologize or come no back? No one's and just be like, actually, uh, that that's we really need to sell sportswear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no one's apologized. No, not that I'm looking for that either. Sure, you know? sure. But um, you know, well, yeah. I would say in a in a way, you ended up influencing the the brand that you were buying from. Because it, specifically with Tom Brown, mm-hmm. I know that they were like, oh, this is an afterthought. Yeah. Like this is – and now, I mean, the sweats, that's a very yeah, large a part while, of their business. That was, I'm sure, you know. And um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean because they were like, dude, we can't keep that stuff in stock. And how you guys merchandise it and tell that story has actually directly influenced people I know that design mm-hmm. for Tom. Because mm-hmm. they're like, man, how Union puts it together, we're like, that's a really good look. We didn't yeah. think of it that way. Yeah. I oh, mean, that's, that's great. Yeah. yeah, and I would say, I mean, that it's the same with how you guys do Raph. I mean, you guys sell Marnie. Yeah, like- Mar- so Marnie <laughs> is maybe Marnie's m- one of my personal favorite brands. How did you get the Marnie account? Serious. Yo, how about this? They never apologized, but we were trying to get at Marnie for a while okay. when they first started their men stuff. And the people there definitely were like, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Originally, I don't know who it was. Sure. Maybe change ownership. Okay. I couldn't tell you a name. It doesn't matter. But they definitely didn't get us at all. And then, and I think it took three or maybe three or four years. So you didn't give up. You were just like, yeah, we'll ask them again. It, it, it's, it's not like I was calling every day. Right. But an opportunity came around where... I can't. Re- to be honest, I can't remember how it came back into play. Sure. And no one apologized, but I guess they were ready. And and I think that's okay too. Like, because if the brand doesn't get us, mm-hmm. then it's probably already not going to work. So when the brands say no, as much as it hurts my ego, yeah, it's also like, well, it's not going to work if they don't get what we do. If they don't appreciate what we do, if they think we're like cheating, yeah. Or devaluing their brand, I don't. I don't want that. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, I you know agree. what I mean. Like, so, yeah, it still hurts to be told no, um, but it re- eventually it came back around, and um, and yeah, I mean, I, I love what they do. I like. I'm a huge, you know, in not so much in the summer, but in the winter time, you could usually had find me had to tell Marnie. Yeah. Yeah, like. Too, almost too much. Like it's kind of like people are like, "What do you want, oh, Marnie?" And the pa- yeah, the pants are Marnie too. <laughs> like I'm kind of with like grizzly boots. Yeah, yeah, with <laughs> grizzly boots or it's, you know whatever Birkenstocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I switch it up. I like to switch it up. That's that's great. Yeah, because I think you know. But Marnie is like kind of yeah. one of our pet projects. It's definitely one of the hardest brands for us to sell. Wait, why but, is that? Uh, it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. It's all the things that I love, but also make it really hard to sell. I think before we got on the podcast, we were talking about like, you have to be able to touch and feel the fabric. It's something you have to experience right. to really get it. And in this day of, you know, online sales, you're not, 
it's impossible to do that. That's why I wanted to hire your boy. Maybe he can help us out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, shout out to John uh, in writing like an incredible like copy that yeah. would help someone really digest, you know, something that, you know, if it's if the fabric's incredible, there's no picture that can tell that. You have to be able to touch it. That's but true. In, in this day and age, there's more sales going on online than in store. It's just what it is. Is that the same for you? Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and with Marnie, it's the way it drapes. You got to yeah. try it on. It's the fabric. You got to try it on. And I just love the sensibilities of that brand. Have for a long time. Um, I, in in what they do well, which I think is fabric and color selection, mm-hmm. and then in like in a in a drape. And yeah, that's yeah. my little pet no, no, word. I, yeah, the I way you. it falls on you. To me, there are a few brands that do it as well. Yeah, very few that that you know there there are, and there's some coming. There's some out there, you know. This summer, I've had one brand of shoes that I can't stop wearing. They're clean. They're simple. They're crisp. Greats. Greats is Brooklyn's first sneaker company. Founded in 2012, Greats was started by sneakerheads who love sneakers and were tired of getting less for their money. Greats offers men's and women's styles that are classically designed with high quality materials and made the best for less. My favorite is the Pronto, a simple unbranded runner that's perfect for the street and adds a nice sportiness to all my tailored clothing. Oh, and while you're at it, you gotta check out the Royal, a simple white shoe that goes well with everything. Right now, Greats is offering Blamo listeners 15% off their first purchase. Just go to greats.com and enter our promo code BLAMO at checkout. So try a pair and see why Greats is changing the shoe game from the inside out. Go to greats.com and enter promo code BLAMO. Shameful plug, but a really good friend of mine, uh, Luke Meyer, who's now the creative director for Jill. Yeah. I think he's doing it really well, too. Uh, yeah. Fabrics, colors, and, and a drape, and the way something fits on you, like, in particular, like, and I've told him this personally a couple times, like, I, I, he might be like the world's best maker of bottoms. Why like, is that? Pa- I mean, just I the you. fit, like the fit of his pants, mm-hmm. uh, is unrivaled out there. I mean, it's sad. <laughs> it's sad, you know, <laughs> that that's what it's come to. We're talking about the fit of a pant, but you know, you know, there's kind of some old saying where it's like, yeah, you know, like it's a pair of pants. It has two legs and a zipper. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what else can you do to it? And He's found these really subtle ways to make like a unique pant that, but that just fits you perfectly. Um, I think he's doing a really good job there. That's awesome. Yeah, that's. I mean, and and that's where our that's where I get nerdy, and it gets into the like the super minutia of like the way this pant fits, and the way this shirt fits, the way this jacket drapes. Like, yeah, and that's when I get excited about fashion when someone is really able to like make a because. Do I need another jacket, sweatshirt, shirt, pant? I've been doing this shit for 10 years. I've been <laughs> buying from what I believe. You know, like the yeah. Vizvim I bought 10 years ago, I still love and have. Really? Know? Yeah. You haven't just gotten rid of that stuff ever? Some of it, like, wears out. But yeah. some, but for the most part, like, and that's the other thing. I would like, you know, we definitely, like, dip into a, we put our toe into a fad here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, almost naturally, not like, hey, that's a fad, let's get into it, make money. It's more like, oh, this is a really cool thing, it's interesting, you know. But for the most part, I'd like to think that most of the stuff we've sold over the course of 10, 20 years has been like a classic piece you, that 
you can always break out. And I know in my closet I can look at old Visvim, old double taps that have, that stood the test of time. Yeah. And I would wear it today and be super happy with it. Yeah. The 10C stuff we were talking about before, you know. Yeah, I mean, 10C, I mean, they're, yeah, it was an amazing brand. I still have a, a, a liner, you know, which is like, it's the yeah. same as what's over yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. New color. Yeah. But um, one of the other brands I want to talk to you about that, you know, because you, not only have you gotten brands that influence themselves via you, but also you brands that don't wholesale ever for some reason will mm. wholesale with you. Yeah. Like Noah is only sold, I think, like Mr. Porter, but you first. Um, yeah. I mean, how how did that happen? Was it just like... Well, that one is... Um, that happens rarely. And in particular, that one, you know, Brendan and I are really yeah. good friends. We kind of came up together. I mean, when I started working at Union, and as I said earlier in the podcast, Union was kind of under this company that was james jebbia and marianne but so uh he was the head designer for supreme okay um and in particular i was thirsty hungry whatever for for to know about the the industry more um so him and a a good friend and one of the old graphic designers this guy named jeff uh, i used to go over to the to their office after work every day and just like soak up how to make good clothes and what made good clothes and graphics. And they, Jeff taught me how to use illustrator cause I wanted to make my own t-shirts, you know? Yeah. Um, so we've got, we go back a, a long way. Uh, fast forward to today, my wife introduced him to his wife. So we're really good family friends. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So, and that was one of her best friends. So it's really, we're like, we, I mean, sad, but true. We like vacation together. It's it, that's great. You know, yeah. So um, yeah, it was more of a natural fit. Yeah, exactly. So, and he, we both really understand each other. Mm. Um, he understands what we do as a store. I understand what he do, does it as a designer and, and, and try and help him communicate that. Um, and there's a trust there. So that one is really easy. I mean, we're good friends and have been for a long time and really trust and appreciate what we both bring to the table. So um, I think that one w- was really easy. Um, I, don't, I know he doesn't do a lot of wholesaling. Yeah. Um, well, because it's tough. I mean, like we were saying, I, I think when you wholesale, you you run you, the risk of, yeah, like we were saying, like kind of compromising your image. Yeah. And so you want to make sure, which is, you know, when we were talking a little bit that, uh, you know, retail is sort of evolving. It's, I still think retail is like the most important thing ever because if every place is just add to cart and check out, yep. where is, like, I am more stoked on Marnie now than I ever have. And I've interacted with Marnie for ages. Yeah. You know, seen it online, yeah. obviously, tons of places. But like, Based on hearing you and like the enthusiasm that you have, that only exists on a re- at a retail. Yeah, exactly, store. exactly. So, How do you? Yeah. And that's the kind of the, that's our grind right now. Is we try and really figure that out. And I, and I feel like, and I guess I'm sensitive and apologetic. I feel like as a store, from a business point of view, mm-hmm. we've lagged with a lot of our competitor stores, because we're spending time and energy trying to solve that problem, mm. and not the immediate sales problem 
which might be the dumbest thing. Or What's the, the immediate smart, sales problem? Like, how do we, hey, we got this hot shit in. Let's get it out the door. Oh. You know, like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> how quickly can that happen? And and let's make this money and move on to the next new thing. Right. Um, and there's stores that have, you know, that I I believe have definitely been influenced by us and, and kind of used our recipe, but they're concentrating more on the business Mm. Which they're smart. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to pay your rent. You got to pay bills. Yeah, I would love to do that too. But my mind keeps on trying to solve these other issues, which are more longevity issues. Right. And I don't know if it's smart to solve longevity issues in fashion, <laughs> like <Sure>. especially <laughs> now more than ever. Yeah. I really spend a lot of time wondering whether, like, you know, sure. is this really gonna last? Like, are you know, I don't know. I don't know. I have. Don't know the answer to that. I don't know that the answer is yes. Me knowing the answer is not why I keep on trying to solve these more like long-term issues. But in a way, I mean, I know you've done some consulting for other stores mm-hmm. to yeah. help them yeah. with their model. I don't know if you still, I know you helped do like the five-story Yeah, bands. it's what I've found is that, and it's, and by no means am I putting them in, in any bucket or whatever, sure. but going back to like trying to solve that long-term thing. Yeah. That's a luxury that I have. Right. For better or for worse that most stores don't. Mm. You know, and inevitably, yeah, you know, with Five Story, um they kind of really appreciated what we did and they kind of wanted that for for their customer. What I found on the immediate tip was that you know, which has got admittedly got me a little gun shy about New York. Just, really? And it's probably unfair to put everything in. But like the cliched kind of view of New York is it's fast paced. It's quick. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, And for and the cliched thing about L.A. is it's slow. Long, it's chill, long, man. Chill. Right. <laughs> and that's served us well for like building a brand. Right. We have the time to build it, and we our rent's not fifty grand a month. We don't have, you know what I mean. We can really yeah. take our time. And I found that my experience, in in particular, through Five Story with with New York and what we're doing now. Obviously, I was there before. Yeah, um, is that yeah a guy who has money to spend on Visvim doesn't want the song and dance. He's in. He wants to go in, see the hot shit, buy it, get out. It's way more transactional. Interesting. Um, in New York. That might, I don't want to. No, no, it's fine. Color New York with that in yeah. general. I mean, you know, but that, that was my experience in particular with Five Store. We had guys come in and I was there and I was supposed to be the cleanup hitter and I was going to give them this. And right. the guy would come in and he'd have like three beepers and two cell phones and they'd all be going, you know, like Wall Street guy. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. You know, excuse me. And I'd be in the middle of giving him my heartfelt vision spiel <laughs> about why he should buy this shirt. Like, excuse me for a second. Excuse me, you know. And then I realized I mean, this guy wants to walk into, let's say, Lanvin. Yeah. He knows, you know, Lanvin is cool because someone else said it was cool. Yeah. And that's all he cares about. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want, he doesn't have the time or the care to learn kind of the the deeper <laughs> reasoning behind a Visvim or, or another brand you know or like a marnie yeah you know? no that's very true i would say specifically on the upper east side too yeah, which is yeah, where which that place where is that was you know it wasn't downtown so, yeah i mean you know there are a lot of things but, that go into that for sure but you're right i mean i worked at you know a shop downtown 
And we had guys come in and you're like, yeah, but this is handmade and yeah. it's done by this guy in Italy. And yeah. it's, he's only, you know, it takes him a year to make this. And yeah. they're like, cool. Well, if I wanted it quicker, how yeah. much would that cost? <laughs> exactly. yeah. yeah. And you're like, Which, uh, what, what? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. And you're like trying to explain this to yeah. these Italian guys. And they're like, what, what do you mean quicker? No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know how we, we got onto that. No, but. no, no. That, that, that's, that's chill. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, in talking about like physical retail stores, you go, instead of going to New York, mm-hmm. you go to Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did that happen? That's well, a big deal. Yeah, the so that is kind of like a partnership with a Japanese company. Okay. A company that same company is actually the distributor for Stussy. Oh. Um, in Japan and have been for thirty five plus years. Okay. I think they have something like fifty Stussy stores in Japan, which Jeez. is that just goes to show you kind of <laughs> some of the reasoning, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's kind of been like a little family that you know Stussy. Union, Supreme, Undefeated, um, you know, specifically like in New York under this kind of one company, mm-hmm. you know, with James and Marianne, they had Union, Stussy, and then obviously they started Supreme or he started Supreme. Yeah. So there's kind of been a very familiar family kind of vibe with those three stores. They're all somewhat connected and related. And then as you kind of bounce over to to, to L.A., Again, the first union store was actually a union and Stussy together in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. It was the two stores in one. It was called the Stussy Union, literally. Fair enough. In 91. <laughs> and that was opened by Eddie. And then Eddie later on went on to open Undefeated. So yeah. there's a connection there. It's not linear, but there's a connection there. And that, so I've known those guys for as long as I've worked for, these, for, the, for the company. I've known the Stussy Japan guys. So it was really easy, and we just started talking about it, and the timing seemed right. Um, why? Why do you feel the timing seemed right, considering where retail's going? Well, for a what we do, yeah, and do well, and there's a version of it that's the opposite. But like, um, in in the kind of clothing that we sell, and the kind of relationship that's a little bit more than transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, in the kind of clothes that we sell and the kind of understanding there, that is very much appreciated in in Japan already. So that would easily um, work there. So I thought that part of it at least is really easy. And then the hard part for them, and I'm going to say something that might surprise you, but in Japan, they don't mix genres too well. Mm. They're not mixing streetwear and high fashion like we do. I know you're probably surprised to hear that. Yeah, no, I am. But then if you start to really think about it and think about when you've gone shopping in Japan, you think you see it on the streets, but because Japanese streetwear is kind of this middle ground between proper streetwear and high fashion. Right. But it's still its own thing. It's not, it doesn't blur the lines there. It blurred the lines here. I'll be quite frank. That's how yeah. we got into blurring the lines was because of Japanese streetwear. But over there, it's still, oh, there's that. And then there's high fashion. And then there's like streetwear, like Stussy. And those don't mix. Why is that? I think, I'm, I, I wouldn't know how to properly equate. Yeah, but like, I, I can't so much speculate, but more okay. explain it even deeper you know like 
in Japan, if you're like a supreme guy, mm-hmm. you don't wear visvim. Oh, like no, you wear supreme. You're supreme. And there's guy. a couple other okay. brands, maybe like you know, I'm dating myself, but anything or something like yeah. brands that are kind of out of that same wheelhouse. You know, Silas. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that's kind of the same family. Because the distributor of Supreme was also the distributor of Silas. So, you know, that's in so in the black and white version, I'm sh- there are shades of gray for sure. But yeah, if you're a neighborhood guy, maybe you don't wear double taps. You wear neighborhood. Yeah. If you're a bape guy, you don't wear neighborhood. You, you know what I mean? And it's just kind of one of those things. So are you like freaking out every Japanese customer right now when I they mean, go in there and see it all mixed together? So to to go roll back to your original question, yeah. why now? Because it's it eventually that has been changing over the course of the last couple of years. Gotcha. And I think we finally crossed the part where the they're ready for it. Okay. I don't think they were really ready for it. There's still a lot of brand building to do with kind of how we do things yeah but i think the customer is now ready for it they understand oh yeah i can take this and mix it with that i mean mixing the genres is now just part of men's fashion in general yeah it's something that we've obviously been doing for a long time for 20 plus years um but it's now become normal and accepted and 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 the norm yeah you know not the it to wear all, to only wear high fashion is now, or streetwear or whatever is now abnormal. Yeah, no, you're right. It's funny because right before we were talking, I um, spoke on this, um, this like it was with this retail group uh, about the Chinese consumer, mm. which is like first off, I'm no expert, but they were <laughs> yeah. like, hey, we just want your take <laughs> yeah, on it. I was okay, like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, and he was like, you mix genres a lot. He's like, we don't do that in Asia, and I was like why not? And he was like, well, you just don't. And I was like, well, do you have a good enough explanation as to why you shouldn't? And he was like, if I wear a suit, um, you know, he's like, people will say that I'm like a suit guy or, yeah. or you know, I'm dressed up for this. He's like, but, and he, he also talked about how like the norm is also streetwear. He's like, you see a guy in streetwear there and he's like, no one would ever say like, why are you wearing all this streetwear? Or why yeah. are you wearing this? It's just like the norm of how yeah. you look. And like I know he'll But even to this, their but take like, on it is weird because yeah. your average Chinese kid and this is where the the lines have now blurred to the fact to the point where that guy's saying that but it's not true. But he thinks it's true and I guess to a in a certain way it kind of relates to what I was saying about Japan where it's like yeah they don't really mix but like your average Chinese kid mm-hmm. for lack of a better term right is wearing like a supreme t-shirt yeah. And the Balenciaga shoes. Right. Right? Yeah. That's streetwear. And maybe Supreme's unfair. Okay. But they're wearing streetwear. Supreme's an unfair. Supreme's this microcosm that's different than everything. I don't know. Abnomaly. I don't know. It's something different that you can't really use it because it'll ruin every argument. But yeah, Supreme is technically streetwear. And every other Chinese kid is wearing that. And the, like, if, if we were going to do a caricature. Like off-white. And, yeah. Off-white, yeah. Supreme. Balenciaga, easy, Chinese guy, you know what I mean? And those are like three, in my humble opinion, distinctly different versions of fashion. Yeah. So you are mixing it. Yeah. I mean, that's a caricature of a Chinese kid, but I I, I get what he's saying too, but you know. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, So you opened up the store in Japan, like how how do you think it's been going right now? 
Um, it's good. I'm, you know, the store where, you know, the store is actually bigger and better than our LA store. You know, it's <laughs> new and improved. You, what can I say? Yeah. My staff is complaining. They're like, they have a better store than we do. And I'm like, well, you know, we, you know, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> the, the reference I've been giving them is like, you know, like I, I'm a sports guy. I think this is my second sports reference, but, um, you know, like the best player on the team maybe got their contract in 2016 and they were their highest paid in 2016. Right. But then a new guy comes in in 2018, he's going to get a better contract, even though he's not the best player. True. That's kind of what's effect. happened here. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, there's guys. So they're the newest thing. They got the best stuff. You yeah. know, and eventually, hopefully, when we're up for a contract renewal, I'm sure our <laughs> store will get better, too. Um, but but the shop's going good. Yeah, really happy with it. I mean, I do think it's a long-term commitment, and it is a work in progress. Yeah. I do I, – I, people probably – people see how people – or think they see how people shop in Japan, and they think it's a breeze and easy. It's not. Uh, there's that much more competition there. Um, yeah. And again, what we do doesn't doesn't really happen there. So there's a learning curve for our consumer, yeah. or who we want to be our consumer. Are you in Harajuku? We are just outside of Harajuku. We're like the ne- I mean, technically yes, but okay, uh, we're in the neighborhood called Jingumai. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, my so, friends shop Bricelands. Okay, is is right cool. around there. Yeah. So yeah. I love that neighborhood. Super happy with it. We're the store. What we do has always been kind of a little bit off the beaten path. And I didn't want to be in the hardcore Harajuku, Shibuya, Aoyama. So I'm glad we're like, yeah. but we're close enough where you can get there and it's not a, you know, a trek. Yeah, that's cool. You know? um, one of the last things I want to ask you about is, you know, as streetwear is so influential. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like one of the biggest things is, right, yeah. like a brand you kind of help, you know, validate yeah. off-white yeah and now virgil's creative director at yeah. louis vuitton yeah which is incredible <laughs> i i think so too yeah. and i think some people are like really freaked out about it and i like for me like when i had heard about it i was super caught off guard yeah but i think it the the fashion industry in general is just trying to tap into like culture like and for some reason like virgil is this like perfect representative of it yeah i mean um i think it's really incredible um i was just as awestruck as anyone and still when i think about it when i start wow like virgil is the creative director for louis vuitton like i still like yeah it's really incredible especially for coming from like I've already admitted I'm a streetwear guy, you know? Yeah. Um, when you start digging into like the, how that came to be and why, and what does that mean? And where are things going? The answers are, in my opinion, very complicated and pluralistic. And there's, Hmm. they kind of overlap and undercut and interweave. Um, I think one of the things that, I've always appreciated about Virgil and C and there's people on all sides of the aisle of there's haters, there's lovers. So I'm speaking to those right to both sides is you can't deny he has an incredible way of telling his story. He's a really good storyteller. Mm -hmm. And what I've told a lot of brands like those brands we're talking about the new up and coming is like if you can't tell a story in today's market, you're going to fail. Mm. I don't even care if you can make good clothes. It doesn't even matter. I'm being really honest. Yeah. If you can't tell a story, 
whether your clothes are do- if your clothes could be the best things that the best designs ever if you don't know how to tell the story you're going to fail your clothes could be the worst shit on the planet if you could tell the story it's going to do well right now it's about how well you tell your story and i think virgil is really good at that i, agree. I don't know him well enough to know whether it's preternatural whether he studied it i don't i don't, you know we know each other but not that well yeah um like i could call him but you know we're not, we don't hang out that, you know, that, and especially now we probably won't be hanging out. Maybe get but a little like, custom uh, Union LV collab, You know, right? hey, man, you know. <laughs> uh, but um, inevitably, I think that's his, if I, from the outside looking in, I would say his gift is being able to really tell his story. And that happens from an editorial standpoint of view. That happens with how the, the, the collections are are branded mm. and put together. You mm-hmm. know, I as I was walking here, I passed by this girl wearing like a really had a really unique look, and then she turned around and I saw like denim on her. You know, oh, it's, yeah, has little in quotation marks. Oh, yeah. okay, it's, you know. And then I was like, of course, you know, because she just caught my eye, you know. And so I think he does a really good job of telling his story. Obviously, you can't s- separate the kind of cultural i don't know explosion that happens with the whole kanye effect so that's kind of tied into it as well right um where you you just get way more eyes because of his you know earlier relationship with kanye yeah um on things um the i think obviously he's made a lot of really good business decisions and then you weave that in with what's happening in the market right now yeah and i think the and this is where I don't have the answer. And I'm kind of, again, speaking to both sides of the aisle. It's, you know, of the haters and the lovers. But I, I know a lot of haters. Yeah. Like, I would call them, like, old school, like, fashionist, like, the people from fashion. The people who could tell you about the seminal yeah. rap like, collection. Yeah, I went to school and, in Antwerp. Exactly, like, okay. exactly, you know. <laughs> and their take on high fashion is pretty hardcore, like and, tour based, yeah, stuff. and yeah. it's definitely not what Virgil's doing, and yeah. it's definitely not streetwear. Um, I'm really conflicted. I've had a lot of conversations. As someone who can be a purist at times, mm-hmm. I understand the purity. I want people to like what we're talking about with Marnie. I want people to like. Do you see what goes on in making this? Like, yeah, I I like that. So there's that part of me, the kind of fundamentalist, that I appreciate that. But on the other side, I'm like, hey, it starts to like here's high fashion has largely been something that wasn't supposed to be pop culture. Right. Right. It wasn't made for me. In fact, it was probably made for me not to have. It was priced against me. You know what I mean? I'm talking my age. I'm talking my race. I'm talking everything like I wasn't supposed to have it. So a part of me is like, fuck that. We want it. And we went and got it. You know what yeah. I mean? My age group, my race, my social, economic, whatever is like. So part of me is like, well, you know, part of me is like, hey, if you guys don't like what's happening in fashion, you kind of have yourselves to blame. You guys kind of did this to yourselves. So if you don't like it, stop doing it. So, for example, I had a discussion a long time ago with um, uh, with a friend of mine uh, and they were kind of complaining about where fashion's going. And then I was like, yeah, but then, and this was right when Demna got hired at Balenciaga. Right. And to me, like, and I really like what they're doing. I'm like more pro, but okay. I can understand 
the hate, it's not like this bipartisan thing. I understand what you don't like, and there are parts of it that make sense. So, you know, so I'm not trying to shit on Demna or anything, but like inevitably, I think what Demna did with Balenciaga uh, and, and, and obviously Vetma as, as well, I was like, it came right up. I was like, but you're like one of your storied brands. Like Balenciaga is one of the babies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. From like if you're a hardcore fundamental fashion, like That's the Balenciaga's up in the annals of the greats. Yeah. Like you guys just hired this guy and you already knew what he was going to do. Yeah. He's going to make it popular. Yeah. So I don't really understand. You, you know what I mean? That's like, you know. Which just also goes to show you that. If, I don't have a people... problem with it, but you guys do. Yeah. You know, but this is your story. So you guys are doing it, not us. If you guys, do, you know. Yeah. But inevitably, the flip side is you can keep make old boring shit and only old boring people. And and I, I got to say, one of my little conspiracy theories. Okay. Is Illuminati. like not not so much, but buying okay. power, right? Oh. I'm, and I think we're. I'm older than you, but maybe are you Gen X or are you Millennial? Uh, I don't know. Do I, think, know? I think you're I'm millennial. Like early Millennial. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, you're a fucking Millennial. I got no problems with Millennials. I'm Gen X. All right, and I'm 33. Okay, I'm 43. Okay, so I feel Gen X as a population sits in between baby boomers and Millennials. Yeah, right. I'll be honest, and this is where I'm not going to be conceited. I think Gen X is the shit. I think we're the shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really think we are dope. I think we did a lot of dope shit. Okay. Um, but as a populace, we are insignificant as compared to the two giant behemoths of population on both sides of us. Oh. Millennials have buying power. Yeah. Right or wrong, love them or hate them, they got buying power. Yeah. And if you look at the decision, and baby boomers had have had buying power, but they're getting old. Yeah. Too old to be relevant to the new world. Thus, yes. you have, not to get into the politics, but sure. you have Trump. That what That's what creates Trump, is old, grumpy baby boomers. Yes. Right? Yeah, and I, then, I agree. Then on the flip side, you've got millennials, and they've got a lot of buying power, and millennials want new something new. They don't want the old. They don't want baby boomer shit yeah you know what i mean and inevitably these storied brands with hundreds of years of you know history are realizing i think that that's their future and mm. they're trying to talk to the baby i mean to the millennials and this is their right or wrong good or bad this is what they're doing they're talking to millennials and they're hiring people who can talk to a millennial yeah right yeah. Which, you know, and that's what's happening in in fashion. And so... My wife teaches a class called Millennials in the Workplace. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so there you... But I, yeah, so yeah, she yeah. could speak to the like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm talking out of my ass, but I'm pretty sure like they dwarf us Gen X's by a lot when it comes to just the sheer number. So just by... So, and I had to... Sorry, I'm taking this podcast to a weird place, but no, this is great. when I first understood that was actually, we, we had hired these two millennials to run our social media program. Why would you want an old person running it, right? And I think of myself as someone who has good taste and I know what I want and I think my ideas are good, Okay, right? And I gave these guys, I was like, hey, here's the plan. And when they started executing the plan, it looked nothing like what I wanted, mm. right? 
Okay. And I was a little perturbed about it and whatever. But the feedback we got was immediate and incredible. People loved it. Oh. I thought what they were doing was downright wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'll still say this. And I could just be, I could be honest. You sure. Know I mean? Yeah, of course. What I started to realize is it doesn't matter what I think because that's not who it's, social media is communicating to for the most part. And that's not where our growth most likely is happening, is in young people. Mm. And they were talking to young people, and young people were digesting it well. And it was different than what I would have said or how I would have said it. Was it the the, the diction, the speech, the imagery? It was, it was everything. everything. Wow. It was everything. And I was like, at the beginning, I was like, these guys aren't listening to me. And they, you know, and, and there was a part of it that's true. They think they know better. And yeah, they probably did. You know, sure. but there was also another part where it's like, none of that matters because I'm trying to tell them how to speak to me, but most likely they're speaking to younger people. And at some point I kind of let go. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let these guys do their thing. I'll try if they, you know, it didn't change my opinion. It didn't <laughs> change. You know, I still was like, hey, I don't like that so much, but it's working and it's speaking to to someone else and this someone else is someone who I want as I want us to be able to grow with this customer. Yeah, I mean it sounds like but the difference of of someone who's successful and who isn't is someone who also is like like what you were just saying like okay, I have my own opinion. Yeah. However, I'm going to make the right decision. Yeah. And, you know, like is it is it worth it? Like if the, if the results are coming in and it's right, like you you and, did and you made goes the right back decision. To like bringing full circle art versus business. Like yeah. the artist in me, the creative, and there that's what is really complicated with fashion in particular. Is like to me, someone I'm sure if you have comment section, they're gonna roast the shit out of half the things I'm saying. But I think fashion in particular is a very particular place where commerce and art meet in a way that i don't think they meet in other places yeah because of the time it takes to actually make the product mm. so if you think of like a pure artist like a painter they're painting one thing they're taking however much time it takes it's appreciated and it's sold and there's just one yeah with fashion they might this artist has created this thing but that that they need to make a lot of for it to make money yeah. They can't sell the painter selling a painting for 5,000, 10,000, a million, whatever. 250 whatever the paint, you know what I mean? Yeah. And hopefully that can sustain their lifestyle. The that same artist but who isn't doing a painting who's making a piece of clothing, it's very rare that they're going to sell that for 5. I mean there is there's couture and yeah. that's what we talked about, but mostly they have to sell something that they can make in a lot of scale up. Yeah. And the time that it takes, they have to rely on a factory. They're not artisanally making it. Yeah. They have to rely on a factory that's somewhere else, whether it's in Italy, Japan, China, it's somewhere else. They have to fit into that, explain their thing to that factory, make a shitload of them, distribute it, get the, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the business side, you can't separate the two the way you might with, or at least you can get really close to with like pure art. It's really the two meeting. And a lot of people, I think, and, 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 and justly so, because there's some designers that we have that are incredible, right? That mm -hmm. are like geniuses. Ray Kaukubo comes to mind as someone yeah. who's like, you know, Prada, Raph, like Margiela. These are people who are like, not, not everyone's on their level. There's 
also shitty designers or something in the middle, but they're on a whole other level where like what they're doing is and should be art. But, you know, they can't, it's fashion. So it has to be, a lot of it has to be made. It has to be made, you know, duplicated or whatever. And when that starts to happen, the business angle kind of crushes the art a little bit. And those, the people that I mentioned are the people who've done a really good job of not allowing business to crush their art. But it's a really hard thing, I would imagine. I'm not a designer, so. Well, I mean, you're a retailer, and it sounds like that's how you're guiding your your retail. Yeah. So, you know, I think that whole, somewhere in that whole conversation, the couple of millennials and buying power and art versus commerce, there's the answer to what's going on in fashion right now, you know. Yeah. you know, it's been happening for a while. I think, you know, to even you know even like things that I think about like, you know, I remember when I was a when I was a young kid, I used to visit New York a lot and go to like Canal Street and get like a fake Gucci or some shit like that. Fire, and that was dope to me. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and then and then and I think there was a at some point. I'm sure the big brands hated that you could go to Canal. I mean, they tried to shut them down all the yeah, time. They might yeah. still, I don't know. You know, And you could, for a while, there was probably more fake LV bags out there than real ones. And you could go to Canal and get a damn good one. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, I feel like that only helped them become a bigger business. You got the fake because you couldn't get the real. You couldn't afford it. Yeah. Because if you could, you'd want it. And eventually... That made people just want the 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 real more. I feel like I agree. that era yeah. and the amount of fakes that were out there, as much as they didn't like it, helped them become that much bigger of a brand. Because you get into the fake because you can't get the real. And the minute you can get the real, you go get the real. And if you weren't didn't have access to the fake, you might not even known about the brand or you That's know true. appreciated the sensibilities that come with having that piece, which is backwards, right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No. We're explaining it in reverse, so it makes a little bit more sense. But to me, so I'm I'm wondering, there's a lot of things that are happening that maybe don't make sense, but are going to develop in a way, I, and I don't know. I, if I knew, I'd be sorry. I probably wouldn't be sitting here in the <laughs> podcast. You wouldn't have access to me yeah. <laughs> if I knew the answers to this shit. I mean, I think you did give a, quite a few really good answers, though. Yeah. This, is, this has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, thank you. Thank no problem. You so Thanks much for having for me. On. Uh, is yeah. there any other thing you'd like to add or mention before we wrap? <sighs> nope. <laughs> All right. Good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks no, so much, thank man. You. This was great. All right. See you. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like this episode, there's tons more to listen to at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, tell a friend, leave a review. It helps let others discover the show. Follow us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Still want to connect? Join our newly launched Slack group and chat with other friends of the pod. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you all next week.